Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. On this week's show, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, and myself are going to break down Florida's big win over Stetson. Um, we'll also preview, and, and the bulk of the show will be a preview of the Florida-Florida State game. Gators travel to Tallahassee Saturday morning, uh, 11 a.m. tip at the Tuck. Uh, the Seminoles have only lost three games at the Tuck in the last three years. We're going to talk a little bit about that. They haven't lost a non-conference game at home in five years. These aren't built-in excuses, so please listen to what we have to say about the show, just telling you that, you know, obviously Florida's got its work cut out for them, lost six in a row. Can they end the streak in the rivalry? I know it's a game that means a lot to our listeners, means a lot to the program, I think, and uh, we'll break it all down for you. Hope everybody is having a good uh, holiday season, and um, obviously, you know, enjoy Senior Day in the Swamp Saturday night, too. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, recording in a brand new, like, mini studio type thing that I've set up in my, uh, in my place. Uh, I've got Eric Fawcett, catercountry.com. We are going to talk about really happy things and then talk about playing Florida State in basketball. <laughs> is that um, um, a emotional that you, you don't have to assign uh, happiness or, or, or sadness to that? I, I, I like it. Uh, it's good to, uh, good to see the new, the new place getting, uh, uh, getting used by you. I have not quite set up my room for, uh, for the podcast studio of my dreams quite yet, but uh, we'll see around the, uh, the holiday break here, but yeah, Florida basketball hour, we're taking the, uh, taking our production to a, to a slightly better level. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I hope that, that it starts to reflect in the sound once I get all the the kinks of the new setup worked out. But I am going to tweet a photo of it at some point in the next week or so from the FBH Twitter account so we can show our listeners uh, what happens when you're, you're new and improved in year three. Speaking of new and improved, the Florida defense against Stetson. Look, I'm not going to make the argument that like Stetson is a very good offensive basketball team or a very good basketball team in any capacity. Uh, they're extremely young. I do think that they have some talent. Uh, we've talked about it. I think in a couple of years, you know, Donnie Jones, who is a very good basketball coach, will have them prime and ready to go in the A-Sun. But they clearly weren't really ready for what hit them in Gainesville on Sunday, were they, Eric? No, and just before we really get into it uh not to uh you know this is the happy part of the podcast not to bring you back to to maybe darker days but let's fast or let's rewind to to last year uh florida opens up with north florida uh doesn't look great pulls away at the end uh they play towson and it's a nail biter they play saint joseph's and it's a nail biter they play marshall and it's a nail biter you look at you look at the year prior they played LaSalle. that game was supposed to be a blowout and it wasn't they played mercer that year as well and it was supposed to be a blowout and it wasn't so I mean, it's it's not a given for Florida or or any you know high major team to go play um, a lower mid major team like Stetson and and look awesome. It's it's not a given. Uh, college basketball is 
the the gap between you know your your Stetsons of the world and your Floridas is is a lot closer than it than it once was. And yeah, it, it's not a given that uh, that Florida was going to go in and, and win by forty six. So I, I do want to just kind of like frame our discussion around the time that uh, yeah, it is it is not a given that Florida is just going to hammer all these all these low major teams that come into town. So I really do think that uh, that their their defense was truly impressive, and it wasn't just that they were going up um, against a team that you said uh, Neil quite accurately is 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 young and uh maybe not the not the most talented yeah and i mean look uh i thought that florida's defense was spectacular either way and it should be noted um you know it's funny one of our our longtime uh listeners i think it was it was gatabit 08 uh, on twitter at gatabit 08 kind of tweeted hey pretty good opportunity for florida's ken palm defense uh you know if they play well and, and Florida did really play well defensively. And they did it without really pressing again, which seems, uh, I don't know, should we say not a coincidence? <laughs> uh, it's it's an example of, you know, why why would you press? Um, I, I would say maybe it's an indication that, that they already are thinking, no, the press is not going to be a big part of uh, uh, of the season just because it would have been an opportunity to, to roll it out and get some reps. Uh, but once again, I'm kind of of, of that mindset. If your half-court de- half defense is, is rolling, if you're getting stops repeatedly, uh, no need to extend it and, and potentially make yourself vulnerable. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I and, and look, I thought that, um, you know, the other thing is like Florida, and, and we've talked about one of the reasons that say, God, we're, are we, what minute of the podcast am I mentioning Scotty Lewis being bad on closeouts? Um, <laughs> <laughs> we mentioned like, you know, how like, like Scotty is so good laterally with his feet and his length is so disruptive at the guard spot that I think that's why you and I kind of as coaches are like, why would you take some of the risk you take? Because people are going to have trouble getting around you. And, you know, Remember how last year, Eric, and I, this is this is the point I really wanted to make from the Stetson game, and I know it's just a three-game observation, but last year early, and I think it was the emergency podcast after Florida State, believe it or not, where you and I were like, this dribble drive thing is not going to work, and they need to reorient the offense. Uh, and, and I'm not patting us on the back. It was just I, we are basketball coaches, and it's something that we saw, and I think we saw it a little sooner than some other people. Um, and – defensively you uh, so i'm patting eric fawcett on the back people looked at this roster and saw that there was a capability to press but you were the one that pointed out hey you know with rim protectors they have a pretty decent chance to be pretty darn good in the half court based on what mike white likes to do and it kind of looks that way doesn't it (laughs) it does uh florida number three in the country in block rate right now small sample size uh neil would you like to venture who is number one in the country in block rate well, I, I'm not going to say FSU because they've only played one game. Um, <laughs> so I don't think that can count. But no, can. no, it, it, is, it does count. Uh, by percentage, Florida State. <laughs> uh, I thought oh, I'd man. enjoy that. But uh, you know what? Going, going, back to the, going back to the press thing, you, you know what? Just, uh, just think, about, think about your place of work, whatever, whatever you do for work, and, and imagine bringing an idea to your boss. Um, and, and saying, hey, we should uh, we should strategize our business um, this way. Now, now say it went say it went wrong, and your boss is is upset with you. And your boss says, hey, why did you why did you bring that that idea? Why did you bring that strategy? And you said, 
oh, well, I looked at market research. I looked at the last 10 years of market research in, in our industry. And you know what? It said this wasn't going to work, but I had a hunch it would. Your boss is probably going to look at you uh, like you're an idiot. <laughs> They're probably not going to be super happy. But if you say, go to your boss and say, Hey, I have this idea. I've looked at market research over the last 10 years. Um, it, it has shown that this is going to work. Um, he probably has a lot better chance of, of going with your idea. So when I look at something like pressing, it's, it's just pretty simple for me. I, I look, and that's what I did. I, I looked at college basketball history at the high major level and it just, uh, it hasn't been effective and, and there's the numbers to back it up. And it, does that mean it's the be all end all of, oh, uh, recent history has shown it doesn't work, therefore it doesn't? Maybe that's a little bit harsh. But again, if, it, if you try it and it doesn't work, you have to go back to, well, was there was there evidence to, to do it in the first place? That's just kind of the way I look at it. Um, that might be a little bit too like... I don't know, black and white of a way to look at it. But, but again, it's just, uh, I kind of like that Florida didn't try to roll it out a ton against, against Stetson because I, I kind of think slash maybe hope that they, that they went in with the pressing thing, knowing that it had a little bit of a, of a short leash, but, uh, but who knows? Yeah. And I mean, look, I don't know if Florida, I still think it's a, it's a something that Florida, it's a, it's that extra club in the bag for our golfers out there. I think it's something that they can do. Um, if they learn how to do it, it was interesting to hear the commentators talk about Mike White saying that like they didn't know when to trap uh, and, and just certain things like they didn't know when to back off, you know, certain things that they're still learning about that press. And it almost sounds like White was like, well, you know, it's something we're going to keep practicing. And when I feel comfortable with it, we can use it if we need it. And that seems to me to be one uh, to Eric's point in multiple articles over the summer, you guys can Google them, gatorcountry.com. Um, seems like, you know, pretty strategic and a better way to deploy a press at the power six level. Everybody knows I call it the power six if you're a new listener. Um, but it also uh, is just empirically proven to be more effective. Sorry, I just said empirical on the pod too. I've been in the law office all day. <laughs> Uh, well, it's, it, you know, I use, I use the term high major to just not have to throw out any numbers and potentially <laughs> get in arguments, but, uh, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Again, I, I feel like this goes back to, um, the, the, this is like semantics of the off season, semantics of press conferences, but it, it was the fact that, that, you know, Mike White said, we are going to be a pressing basketball team. So to me, I interpreted that as like, you know, we are going to come out every game and we are going to press. We are a pressing team when really it seems like they're not a pressing team. They are a team that presses. Um, or I said, which has been tweeted at me um, a couple of times and cracks me up. Um, the Gators are going to be a team um, in the press, but not of the press. And ah. uh, yeah, that, that, you know, that, that looks to be uh, that looks to be the way of, uh, of how they're going to handle it, which uh, I would be totally in, in support of. Yeah, no, I like that. I, I kind of like that. And I think the other thing is, so, and it might've just been who they were playing. I don't think that, you know, if I were to give Donnie Jones free advice, which he would never need from me, but if I were to give him some free advice, it would be um, that he should play Steven Swenson at, at point guard because they clearly don't really have one. And, and Steven won some state championships playing that position and, and is really smart uh, with the basketball and isn't a guy that, is going to need to like look to score. So I think that would be something that Stetson ought to do. And to me, um, Florida smartly recognized very quickly watching the Miami film and the Emmanuel film that this was a problem. 
and applied a lot of on-ball pressure, uh, which, you know, the word press, I guess, is in there. <laughs> yeah, it was actually really interesting to see them extend a little bit. And then uh, while uh, while their guards were really extending pressure to like 27, 28, 30 feet uh, to then see some guys that are one pass away sitting in the gaps a little bit. Yeah. Uh, it was it was just an interesting defensive alignment that I that I don't think we saw a lot of last year. Um, and you know what? Like, uh, there are a lot of things, I think, that are underrated about Mike White's coaching from a defensive standpoint. And one of them really is that they do play multiple styles of man to man defense. Uh, there are so many teams that are like, hey, we're Texas Tech. Uh, we send everything to the baseline. We deny one pass away. Um, or you're like the Virginia who is, uh, you know, we're pack line. We sit in the gaps and help from one, one pass away. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's kind of interesting to me and, and genuinely, I think a great strategy that when you see Florida play and you see the way Mike White coaches man to man defense, that sometimes the Gators are playing, playing a little bit, uh, a little bit tighter and sending help from, from the opposite uh, baseline from the weak side baseline. And sometimes they are uh, doing a little bit more of the pack line and, and sitting in the gaps. And that's what we saw a little bit with Stetson. And uh, I, I think that that is going to get underrated because people are going to see, Oh, they're, you know, they're, they're sitting in man defense and that's what they see. And they're not going to ne necessarily recognize that the Gators are are playing multiple styles of man defense and, and honestly like I, I get this as a high school basketball coach playing against one playing against pack line versus like a deny man defense um it, it's as big of a change as if they were playing two three zone versus man defense like if you can show different looks of man defense within the same game it's just as effective if the gators went to their one three one uh versus their man it's uh, it's really good coaching i think from what i yeah, no, I, you know, I would agree. Another team that I think, uh, by the way, that I think switches defense really well, and actually I, I think in a similar vein to Mike White is, is the staff at Memphis. Um, that They're pretty committed to man-to-man, -man, Eric, but uh, definitely a lot of different styles. Like, they will extend their pressure. They, they have deployed some pack line. And, um, you know, so they – you know, sometimes they get out in the passing lanes, all the uh, South Carolina, right? Uh, so just lots of different ways that they'll they'll throw at you to defend you. And and I think that's one of the only staffs in the country, really, that I can think of that is that versatile in their their defensive approach. I think you might have been the first person in in history to compare Penny Hardaway to uh, to Mike White in coaching. Um, <laughs> I haven't heard it, but hey, it's 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 interesting. <laughs> um, I, and I do think that'll be the next kind of like phase of uh, of college basketball coaching because again, you do see so many teams that are dedicated to like these are our man to man defensive principles. Uh, but then you go look at the NBA game, um, how much they they kind of change within their man defense. I, I think that'll be the next uh, the next thing in in college basketball versus teams that change between man and zone. It'll be like, hey, let's go from denying and denying one pass away and sending help from the weak side baseline to, uh, to hey, let's sit in pack line. Hey, by the way, so that Eric knows, um, so I actually was, was thinking of who Florida defensively reminded me of uh, before the season. And one of the schools that I wrote down was Memphis, so I was able to do a little bit of research on, on Penny Hardaway's defensive philosophy. And here's what he said last year when Memphis finished in the top 10 in Ken Palm defense number one nationally in field goal percentage defense, and number five in block rate. He said, philosophically, we want to defend you in a lot of ways. We will always play man defense, but I don't think people in college basketball understand there are a lot of different ways to skin a cat. We skin a cat a lot of different ways at Memphis, and we're really proud to be the best field goal percentage team in the country defensively. You will defend if you play for me. 
I love that quote. That's awesome. And uh, it's kind of totally like, uh, uh, yeah, what I was just uh, what's, was what I was just thinking about how th- there are so many different ways to even play man defense. And uh, sometimes people and coaches in college basketball are a little too tied to uh, to one single way. So there it is. Penny Hardaway and Mike White, maybe simpatico brothers from another mother. Um, <laughs> let's should we should we do some individual performances in this game? Like, is there somebody that or, or anybody in particular that really stood out to you? I think we got to start talking about Osai Osifo just because he made his, uh, uh, obviously his first, uh, first trip to the hardwood after being out for the first couple games. So, uh, what were your thoughts on his game? Uh, I mean, a lot of energy, what five rebounds in nine minutes seems pretty good. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, he, we didn't see like him attempt to play much offense. No one really passed him the ball. Uh, I'm sure he was fine that way. There was that one like breakaway uh, showboat dunk that Scotty Lewis had where I like couldn't tell at least initially if Appleby was waiting for Osifu or if it was Lewis and then it became pretty obvious. <laughs> yeah, there's two. Uh, there was two rotations where uh, Osifo rotated over his help defender and, um, and and tagged a roller, and and it was great. And uh, as much as that's not going to jump out of the off the page at you, uh, that was one of my concerns watching him in junior college. Was here's this player who uh, his number one skill is his size and athleticism, but I, I don't think he defended well at all i shouldn't say at all i don't think he was but i do i do not think he was a plus defender playing in junior college last year and i don't think he was uh he definitely was not an above average offensive player so um i was like man if he's going to be an effective player for florida he's he's got to be an athletic active defender and uh, i didn't see him make many good defensive reads in, in what i saw in junior college so so to see him make a couple uh a couple really smart choices defensively in short minutes um i i, I thought that was pretty good so good to see him on the floor and man uh, uh, Daruji, uh, looking, uh, looking a little shaky to start the season. And, uh, if Fosifo is going to play a little, a little steadier, I mean, he could have that, um, I guess we'll call it the, the backup power forward minutes. Yeah. I'm not trying to pat Eric Fawcett on the back too much. I just know it's cold up there in Canada right now. So, you know, maybe all the praise is, is a little bit of warmth from, from down in America, but, uh, <laughs> I gotta say that you, you called it on the, you said, man, Anthony Daruji had kind of a rough go in Bubbleville and with Osifu coming back, it'll be interesting to watch minutes. And sure enough, uh, Osifu plays nine and, and Daruji was limited to five minutes, all more or less in garbage time and fouled out by the way, fouled out in five minutes. <laughs> I did not know that, that, uh, that did not register with me watching. Uh, that's crazy. <laughs> and I mean, as much as you're like, Hey, they didn't really pass Osifu the ball offensively. Uh, well, a uh, man, the, the ball is sticking with Daruji and he has taken some, uh, some, some rough shots. So, uh, maybe, maybe having Osifo in the game is, is maybe a little bit of, uh, uh, will maybe push Daruji to, to play a little bit, uh, uh, a little bit more heads up offensively with the ball in his hand, uh, t- take, uh, take a few less, um, difficult shots. I, I don't think he is, uh, has proven he's the guy you can kind of take those. Um, but yeah, those are, those are a couple forwards that, uh, that I thought were interesting. Was there any other, uh, individual players you wanted to key on, key in on? Um, so I did want to mention Noah Locke, uh, just going five or six from three point range. My worries about his shot in Bubbleville, uh, appeared cured when, when he got back into the friendly confines of his own gym. Um, he had a couple like 23, 24 footers too, where he was just like, yep, I'm going to shoot now. Oh, it's good. Um, did, did you, did, uh, did you catch his quote from, uh, from, uh, after the game? <laughs> 
Regar- <laughs> no. regarding Bubbleville. Uh, no, this no. is like great. Graham Hall told me this one. So shout out to him. So I, I'm not sure if Graham asked the question or, or if he uh, just got in the press conference and, and passed it on to me, but he, he, uh, Noah Locke pointed out that uh, he didn't like the ball they were using in Bubbleville. And oh. he also thought the, uh, the rims in the court were just not, uh, not conducive to shooting the basketball. And uh, yeah, back to, uh, to, you know, get a little home cooking uh, the rims. He's used to a ball he's used to uh, obviously doesn't seem to be a problem for him. Well, I hope he likes the rims at, at the tuck. We'll get there in a second. <laughs> <laughs> um, Scotty Lewis had a double-double. <laughs> yeah, that was a... He also had a triple-double, by the way. Like, he, he flirted with a triple-double. Like, had he not played... Had he played more than 24 minutes, he probably would have had a triple-double. If we... If I said who on the Gators will get a triple-double in this season <laughs> and we were to draft players... Trying to trying to be the one who would who would guess. Uh, where where do you think he would draft Scotty Lewis? Fifth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So I would uh, I would say that that was a little bit surprising. But hey, good for him. Uh, one thing that I do think is is pretty interesting. Um, so people have kind of been tweeting at me talking about um, you, you know Florida centers and defensive rebounds uh, because none of them, neither Omar Payne or Colin Castellan has been has been great to, on the defensive glass. At least for, at least I will say big caveat from a, you know, raw rebounding numbers. Right. Uh, so people have said, hey, is, is, do you think this is a problem? And, and I mean, I, I look at a game like this where Colin Castleton's finding a body, um, b- blocking his guy out, or Omar Payne sitting down on his, on his man, and then Scotty Lewis or, or Keontae Johnson flying in for the defensive rebound. Um, hey, that works. And uh, I, I hope people don't get on Florida's centers for, for not rebounding. If they are boxing out, taking away the, uh, the offensive rebounders that are on the glass and, and clearing it out for, for Keontae Dante Johnson or, or Scotty Lewis get the ball. And honestly, uh, that's something that, that also kickstarted Florida's transition defense was the fact that it was Colin Castleton and Omar Payne boxing out um, Keontae Johnson or Scotty Lewis getting the defensive rebound, and then they can turn up court and push the ball quicker. So uh, I, I will say, hey, definitely uh, definitely great that he was able to get so many rebounds. Uh, but I would also point out that, it, yeah, it was a little bit of a, a team rebounding success as well. Yeah, no, I think that's true. And, and you know, Billy Donovan was big on that. Like, he didn't think – he always felt like if you could body people up and a ball handler, even if it wasn't a great ball handler, just a ball handler capable of getting the ball up the, up the court with a little bit of pace was the guy who grabbed the rebound. Like, Donovan would say, you know, we prefer that. Um, and uh, certainly Florida with, with Scotty Lewis – or even when Keontae gets rebounds, but almost better with Scotty Lewis <laughs> um, getting those rebounds because Scotty is relatively capable of getting the ball up the court. And then, you know, after that, I'm not sure how much I want him handling the ball, but probably not as much as Scotty Lewis wants to handle it, right? But um, <laughs> anyway, it, it, you're, you're right. It's a good point that you make. Last player I want to mention, you know where I'm going. Uh, I just thought another – well, I should give a shout-out to, like, every Florida player that played the last 10 minutes of that game. Cause that is a mentally demanding thing to do as an athlete. Um, it is difficult to maintain focus and execute when you're ahead by a lot and a, a lot of points and the game is no longer really competitive from a who's going to win standpoint. I thought that Florida's reserves uh, competed extraordinarily well. I was very impressed again with Niles lane. Um, you know, he showed that he could handle the ball a little bit in this game, which I think both you and I were like wondering if, if he was going to be a guy that they would actually trust with the basketball. He did. 
Uh, he also is a safe passer. He clearly is a thoughtful passer uh, in that, you know, you saw him keep his dribble and kind of evaluate when it was safe and what the safe pass was. He's not going to turn the ball over. He understands that if you want to play for, for Mike White and in these minutes as a freshman, you better not make careless turnovers. Uh, and then he's just so good on two feet defensively. Like he, he does not leave his feet. He maintains good guarding position. Uh, and, and again, just a bunch of different things on the stat sheet for him in his 10 minutes. I would say he's right in the sweet spot of confidence you want from a freshman where, like you said, I thought he showed a lot of confidence in his ball handling ability on a couple of occasions, uh, keeping his keeping his dribble alive, not picking it up and getting into trouble when there was some defensive pressure. He kept his head up and he, and he made the, the simple safe pass. Uh, and, and that showed confidence without being like overconfident. I'm going to try to dribble through a double team and, and make a play. Uh, and that's that's really impressive. And, uh, you know, not I don't think there's much to say about Samson Rusensev. Great to see him knock down an open and triple uh, yeah. but he you can tell that he doesn't have that kind of confidence level right now which um on, I, on one level is like okay well at least he's not overconfident um but he's maybe lacking a little bit of confidence and and uh, yeah niles lane comes in lo- looks comfortable right away he looks like he has good size and uh to see him down in a stance moving laterally looks uh looks like he's going to be a good defender so i would say a, a really solid look at him uh definitely and uh you know you said like you've said mentally challenging to to play the final minutes of a game like that uh but i do think these players showed uh showed a little bit of an understanding that that again like man nothing is taking nothing is uh can be taken for granted who even knows how how many games they'll get to play in in the odom this year because who knows if the sec pivots and decides to to bubble up or something along those lines or who knows if just a bunch of games are going to be canceled i i just hope the players are taking to uh, taking every minute um uh, with a level of, of of seriousness of like, hey, we don't know when we're going to get on the court again. But yeah, definitely, uh, definitely was good to see that um, while it was uh, certainly garbage time, it wasn't like awful to watch or anything. Yep, I would agree with that. I think unless you had anything else you really wanted to get into, and you know, I mean, we could nitpick, but I, I didn't have much else. I did see Tyree Appleby grab four assists in twenty minutes, and, and I thought kind of show that. That to a point you've made, he's he's a little bit ahead of everyone else on the team as a passer. Um, that was really my only other observation. <laughs> yeah, just the regular reminder that Tyree Apple be super fun. Had a couple of his steals and like really quick. Like I just I'm just so impressed with Tyree Appleby's ability to make plays at full speed. Like he is just pumping his legs as quickly as possible mm-hmm. and can can cross it over. Or uh, when he was trying to you know poked away a steal and and had to maneuver a, a loose ball around a defender. It's just incredible his ability to to see plays at full speed. Um, yeah, he's just so much fun. We 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 love him here at the podcast. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. Uh, one thing we don't love at the podcast is losing to Florida State. We are going to get to that in just a second. We had one listener question I wanted to answer from Et Volgator, who asked, watching Castleton and Appleby and then noting Blackshear, Kulichev, and Barry before them, is it fair to infer that the Gators are getting better play from transfers because the transfers get coached better than at their prior schools? <laughs> Oof. Well, I'm not sure where Tyree Appleby's um, coach is uh, currently at. Um, was... In Tyree Appleby's case, the answer is yes. Um, uh, yeah, I certainly think um, I, I certainly think coaching can play a role. I, I think, especially though, you do look at a player like um, like like Igor. I mean, he's a shooter. 
Um, that that's not really someone who can go out and and make plays for himself. He needs to be a right. catch and shoot guy. So uh, you go to the high major level and uh, you get some guys who can feed you the ball. And uh, Kerry Blackshear, uh, obviously a big man. It's it's tough for big men to really command the the pace of play on their own. They need guys who can get them the ball. Um, although you know Kerry Blackshear, he had awesome coaching. I would say at Virginia yeah. Tech, and their scheme really fit him. Uh, no no slander towards uh, towards Buzz Williams, who I think is is great, but. Um, yeah, in the case of uh, in the case of Tyree Appleby, um, yes, I will say he is uh, he is certainly getting getting better coaching. And in the case of uh, in the case of um, uh, Anthony Deruji, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I did not watch. Uh, I watched. Uh, I watched um, obviously the game. Uh, the, the last Louisiana Tech game I watched uh, was that one where Anthony Deruji um, played against uh, LSU back in. Uh, back in 2019. So I don't really know about their coach, um, Eric Kong Conkle, I think is, is his name, something like that, but I don't actually know much about him as a coach. So I will, uh, refrain from making judgment on him. Yeah. And I, I'm sure Jawan Howard was coaching bigs fine at Michigan. Um, but <laughs> you know, Al Pinkins is reputed to be one of the best big men coach in college basketball in the whole sport. So I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's, you know, in some instances, certainly they're getting coached up at Florida. Uh, a lot of times with transfers, it's really about fit. And, and, and I mean, one more thing I will say is by the time, like, okay. So I think there's a big difference between, um, Anthony Deruji and Tyree Appleby as sophomores Mm -hmm. and as fourth year juniors. That's, that is a big leap between your second year of college basketball and your fourth year of college basketball. When it comes to graduate transfers, I don't think a player is really making a big jump between their fourth and fifth year. Um, yes, uh, occasionally, but I think you know what you are at 22 years is, is often what, sh- what you are at 23 years old. So uh, that, that's also kind of my take on you know, t- a Tyree Appleby versus a Kerry Blackshear kind of situation. I like it. John Calipari said he always thought that the players made their biggest jump between their sophomore and junior seasons. And he said, it's a real shame because I never have anybody that make that jump. <laughs> like that, that could be a real quote you just said, or it could be like an onion headline. I'm not actually sure. <laughs> it's, probably, it's probably a quote he rehearsed on a, on a plane headed to Bristol for the, for the coach's car wash. Um, but, it, but it is a real thing that he said. And uh, yeah, yeah, take that as you will while you watch Andrew Nimhard play for Gonzaga. Um, so, Florida State. Uh, the Gators have lost Florida State 8,247 times in a row. Um, Florida State just won their first ACC championship outright, regular season championship, I should say. Uh, they were probably going to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament on account of winning that ACC championship. I know Lunardi had them as a two. I think they were going to get a one seed because the ACC champion gets a one seed. Um, and, you know, Lenardi might be right, but but I don't think that in this instance that that was going to be correct. Um, they were going to have a decent chance, I think, at making the Final Four finally, uh, which would have been a first for Leonard Hamilton and probably sealed a Hall of Fame resume for Leonard Hamilton. Your thoughts... On, on Florida State last year before we move on to Florida State this year? Florida State is, when you look at the league they play in and you look at their success in that league, like honestly, like as much as this is going to annoy some of you listeners, uh, like I think Florida State's underrated, honestly, nationally. Like you look at how, how regularly they finish at the top of the ACC, like they should be talked about 
with the with the Dukes and the North Carolinas and the Louisvilles and the uh, and the Virginias. I mean, uh, like for example, I think if you looked at the if you said to the casual you know basketball fan who's been a better program of, uh, recently, if you, uh, Louisville or or Florida State, uh, I think most people would be like, oh, it's it's Louisville, obviously, and and that's just not true. Um, so man, I I think it's just so impressive uh, what Florida State has been able to to put together. I absolutely think they're uh, they're a one seed last year. Um, Lenardi is uh, a lot of people who do bracketology will always point out to you that Lenardi is every year one of the the most inaccurate bracketologists of <laughs> anyone who submits to those. So th- the fact that he is still kind of held in such high regard by by many is um, kind of actually funny. And I mean, this isn't like opinion. You can look at his results versus um, other people who do. You yep. know, br- look look at bracket matrix. Um, but yes, I, so so that is my way. That is my way of saying yes. I totally agree with you. I think Lunardi was wrong, and they would have been a one seed. Yeah, I mean, they were, they were probably going to be a one seed. What I'll say is that they won 26 games. They only lost five. Uh, Florida's game against Florida State this weekend is going to be played at the Tuck, uh, the Donald Tucker Center. Florida State has lost three times there in the last three years. Um, they did not lose there last year. Uh, and the only three times they have lost have all been to ranked opponents. Uh, it, those are their only three home losses and all in conference play. They have not lost a non-conference game in that building in four seasons um, or in the last four seasons. So it's been five seasons since they lost a non-conference game in the tuck. Pretty remarkable stuff. Uh, they do lose three of their top four scorers from last year's team. They also lose uh, the guy that I voted for, for national defensive player of the year. Um, there's, there's, is that even a hot take? Well, whatever. I voted for Devin Vassell <laughs> as uh, national defensive player of the year with, with the Florida basketball hour vote. I did promise Eric Fawcett that I would include him in all these ballots this year and then proceeded to not include him on the SEC ballot because <laughs> I didn't check my email. So I promise when our votes come out, I'm going to make sure that Eric is included. On yeah. <laughs> you, you got it under control. It's all good. Yeah. So they lose the National Defensive Player of the Year, in my view, and Devin Vassell. Uh, Devin Vassell also murdered Florida last year, just so that everybody's clear. Just destroyed them. Um he had 13 points, six rebounds, a couple steals. He he threw in a block for good measure because you know that's that's what happens when you're six foot seven and and playing guard um, at FSU. They don't really have positions. Look, they've lost dudes the last couple years, and people said, "Ah, oh, Florida State's going to fall off," right, Eric? And then what's happened? Uh, they just get dudes from everywhere. Uh-huh. Uh, there's no question, and this this team is is the the same the same way. Uh, you look at uh, you look up and down their roster, where um, a player that I think is is very good. I'm not entirely sure how to say his first name. Um, Sardar Calhoun. Um, I, I watched them play North Florida in their one game so far this season. They exclusively referred to him exclusively by his surname of Calhoun, but he's a junior college <laughs> transfer. Uh, and then you look at Tanner Ungam, a seven foot one player that they got from uh, from Ryerson, which is a university in Toronto and the uh, the Canadian uh, university ranks. Um, though I will, I, I think I said it on this podcast, and I will reiterate it. Uh, when uh, out of high school, his final two schools were uh, were Ryerson and UConn. So uh, he was he was a high or not a high major. He was, uh, you know, yeah, because, you know, UConn wasn't uh, in the Big East at the time. Uh, so but he was a UConn caliber player at the time uh, and then just chose to chose to play in Canada. Uh, but, you know, uh, not often that a team of, uh, you know, the uh, 
ACC winning caliber, plucks a player from the junior college ranks, uh, plucks a player from Canada, uh, plucks some players from uh, from outside the top 100 that are already looking like good players. Uh, Nathaniel Jack, um, also another player who's uh, who's Canadian and a junior college transfer. Uh, they have just built uh, built their roster from uh, wherever they can find players. They just they, man, they rebuild. So a cool thing that's happened uh, with FBH is, is growth is that, you know, Eric does an amazing job at Gator Country talking to recruits and their families. And so I've started reaching out to staffs. Um, you know, I would love it if the Florida staff would, would talk to us a little more. Um, but <laughs> Florida State was happy to. And uh, Leonard Hamilton um, and I spoke and he said that he thought uh, Nathaniel Jack was the best shooter on his team. And that's just a guy that comes off their bench. Um, so, so that was one of his comments, another Juco guy that they're, uh, extremely excited about, um, that, you know, is, uh, this guy, Raekwon Evans, uh, who is, is kind of, you know, I don't know if he's going to be able to fill in the, the Trent Forrest role of like super leader. But remember, I, I recorded a podcast with Eric last year where I insisted that they were going to have problems replacing, uh, Terrence Mann. Right. And Trent Forrest came along and did everything that he, that man did. Uh, I don't know if Raekwon Evans is that guy yet. Uh, he did not start their first game, but he did play 16 minutes. He's a Juco kid that, that came from North Idaho. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's a, that's a junior college that Leonard Hamilton has tapped into before Hamilton said. So he knows what kind of coaching he gets there. I uh, was one point that he made. And he says, look, I, I know that he scored a lot in junior college, but I told him you're not going to score a lot at Florida state. And he still wanted to come. And I was kind of like, what an interesting comment, but that's the kind of culture they have. I, they don't, uh, I, there's just not a ton of individuals, uh, at that school. And it's the reason that I think they're able Eric to blend one and done. we haven't even gotten to that part of their team yet, uh, that they've had with, with all these studs. Well, man, I look at the ACC and I see Duke. It does not look like your normal Duke team. North Carolina is better than last year, but uh, they're not looking like normal North Carolina. Uh, Virginia does not look to be as good as, as a lot of people thought entering the season. Uh, if if Florida State goes and wins this league again, and it's with three junior college transfers and a Canadian university transfer, uh, that would be hilarious. And I would love it. That would be, I say hilarious, um, because I think if you beat Blue Bloods with a bunch of junior college transfers, that's amazing. Um, but it really would be impressive. And, uh, but of course it is not exclusively junior college players. Uh, there is Scotty Barnes. Um, he is absolutely fantastic. And, and I'll say this, I mean, they list him as a point guard. He legitimately plays point guard for them. At, at least he did in, um, their one game against North Florida, yeah. six foot nine, 230 pounds. And, and he is playing the point, um, both defensively and offensively. And, uh, he, he looked incredible out there. He also, he also rocked the, um, the high socks and short shorts shorts look which i thought was uh was was pretty stellar i thought it was a, a clean look a little bit of a throwback um but man he handles the ball well uh he made some really good reads uh he was uh, uh you know there was a lot of people who thought oh maybe he's going to be the best uh the best player in in in, in this draft uh, which is crazy because there's some in incredible players at the top of the draft i don't think he is quite that i do think he's a lottery pick and uh yeah gonna be a matchup problem yeah, big time. Uh, he's the highest rated recruit in the history of the school, um, by the way, for, for those that, uh, you know, care about these, these sorts of things. He is 
uh, slightly higher rated than Jonathan Isaac, who, who was a, a one and done lottery pick. Um, and he's the fifth top 10 overall recruit that Hamilton has added to the, to the roster in the last six seasons. So this is what he does. You know, he brings in these Juco guys because they like the Juco ranks. And then he kind of meshes them with, with really high price talent. I shouldn't say price. Cause I, that, there's just not any, <laughs> that's, that's not what I meant. Um, and I shouldn't say that at all. Ham was really gracious with his time. And it also kind of speaks to like, the fact that they are that are that under the radar, they're like, yeah, the Florida podcast wants to talk to you. Sure, give him my phone number. Um, but Balsa Koprivka, right? Montverde, uh, four star uh, guy, plays center, really good passing big. Not like what you'd normally think in a seven foot one guy. He's more like a stretch four, I think. That's just like really big, but but uh, a good passer. Um, is another one. And then the other McDonald's all American they have in addition to Scotty Barnes is MJ Walker. And he's kind of taken that like different McDonald's all American route, right? Right. Like there are four year McDonald's all Americans. I know it's really rare, but Patrick young was one MJ Walker, honorable mention all ACC last year. I remember we did this pod last year and Eric and I were like, I don't know, is MJ going to take that next step? And he was a lot better last season. Um, not great. Still has some weaknesses, but man, he looked really good against North Florida. Yeah, and I mean, one of the questions with him, um, like it has been with many Florida State players, uh, has been his jump shot. Uh, not n- not an awful shooter, uh, but kind of like slightly below average. He went three for five against North Florida. That's one game sample, uh, but definitely looks a lot more confident as a shooter. And, um, uh, you know, Neil, just I know we're talking kind of individual players, but an overall kind of overarching uh, look at what Florida State's game against was like North, what was against North Florida was that this is just like your normal uh, your normal Florida State team like yes. they did they didn't shoot the ball well um, they offensive rebounded nearly half of their misses um, <laughs> they blocked over a quarter of North Florida's shot attempts um, <laughs> like it's just uh, a- a- and they pressed half the game as well um, which is oh. maybe something worth noting but I mean through the one game sample it was just like this is just like vintage Florida State didn't shoot the ball well. Were super long and athletic, dominated defensively, got every offensive rebound, blocked every shot. Um, but yeah, MJ, going back to the root of this, MJ Walker was the one player who was knocking down shots, um, as well as Calhoun. And that's, um, you know, Sardar Cal Calhoun, a player who is known as one of the best shooters in the junior college ranks. Uh, he is bringing some shooting to that roster as well that you you don't normally see from Florida State teams. Uh, but uh, yeah, you got to hope that MJ Walker and Calhoun don't go off um, from from three because uh, obviously if there's, there's one way that you can kind of get the Seminoles year to year it's uh you know you hope that they uh they have one of their their regular you know tough shooting nights from three yeah and Calhoun's different because he gives them kind of instant offense off the bench I think which you know I'm not saying they haven't always had that obviously a couple years ago when they made the elite eight they certainly did uh but it might have been like their only tournament weakness really last season um Malik Osborne is their sixth man and basically he's just like kind of their like if you were to draw like a caricature of what a Florida state basketball player looks like, <laughs> I feel like it would be like Malik Osborne. He's just like six foot nine can play like four positions. It's just a monster defensively and gets like offensive rebounds and scores that way. Um, Cause he doesn't really have like great offensive skills. Right. Like, is that not what a Florida state player is like in the first thing you think of in your mind is kind of Malik Osborne, but uh, like they have 15 of them. Right. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, so so that's the interesting thing about Calhoun to me is is that they kind of get that scoring element off the bench. One guy that that has never really impressed me that much, but has kind of freakish athleticism. It'll be interesting to see Florida centers deal with him is Raekwon Gray and whether Florida just drops off and is like, Hey, you know, no one loves Raekwon Gray shot more than Raekwon Gray. Um, Cause he loves to shoot and like, doesn't make a lot of things. And so, you know, I don't know that that's, that's like, if I, if I pick like a player on their team, I think should play less, it would be Raekwon Gray, but I know um, Leonard Hamilton likes to start him cause he's, He's definitely good defensively. <laughs> uh, it's it's good to know you're you're you know developing this friendship with Leonard Hamilton. Uh, we, we, you know maybe maybe he'll come on on the podcast if uh, if he beats Florida again because he's done the media tour before and um, of course tweeted that uh, that image out last year that he quickly <laughs> deleted. But um, well, we, we, it's I've got to say, man, I I do enjoy I I do like Leonard Hamilton. Seems like a fantastic man, and uh, I Great. just wish he was at a different uh, different program. Yes. Uh, but that is very cool that he talked to you, and uh, it was interesting. You know, if he if he if he loves uh, if he loves him, if he loves Raekwon Evans, then 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 sure. Raekwon, uh, what? Oh, sorry, Raekwon Gray. They got, got Raekwon's They got so many Raekwons at Florida State. Too many Raekwons to keep track of. So I, I was I was thinking a little bit ahead just because I was looking at the the lineups they they looked against uh, against North Florida, and uh, man the uh, the smallest player that they're that that is in their rotation is Raekwon Evans, who's six foot four and two hundred ten pounds. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone else was bigger. I mean, especially with Scotty Barnes playing point guard, uh, they had Nathaniel Jack and MJ Walker, both guys that are six foot five. Uh, Wyatt Wilkes, six foot eight, and then you know Balsa Kopravica, seven foot one. Uh, they play really big. So, I, I mean, uh, Neil, where do you uh, where do you see Noah Locke in a game like this? Because uh, you know some people have been talking about um, about his role and and how many minutes he would get in. A game like this um i wonder with uh you know our guy tyree appleby what what role do you think he has uh, so it, it, especially with florida's kind of smaller guards uh where do you see them playing in a game like this well hopefully noah plays better than last year when he was over seven from three-point range and really really bothered by fsu's length right huh. uh, you know so i think that's that's a big question for me but even andrew was bothered by their length last year and we forget that these guys went out there to play Florida state in their second game as the number six team in the country and essentially were, uh, you know, one game into their sophomore seasons. Uh, Keontae Johnson was fantastic because Keontae Johnson is fantastic. Florida didn't get anything really out of Kerry Blackshear in that game, except a lot of Kerry Blackshear skilled enough to draw fouls from kind of unskilled bigs that FSU had. FSU's bigs are a little more skilled this year. What I'd like Florida's guards to do uh, is just try to take care of the basketball. I know that's really simplistic. Um, And then I think Noah has to show us that he can knock down transition shots. Like if Florida is going to play a little bit quicker tempo, hopefully Noah gets some cleaner transition looks and he can make them. We talked about on the podcast last year that that's not necessarily a strength of Noah Locks, but uh, we saw him hit one in Bubbleville. You know, maybe that's something that that he can continue. What are what are your thoughts about that? 
Well, just talking about the uh, the environment at uh, at the Tuck here, you know, Florida really gets lucky, man. Because, uh, and I know I, I know it might be foolish to say Florida versus Florida State is is lucky in in any fashion, given uh, the recent history. <laughs> but I've got to say, it certainly breaks well that uh, uh, the home court advantage will not be what it normally is because of. Uh, I think that they had. I think it was open to twenty six hundred people, uh, of which watching the North Florida game there was not anywhere near that. I don't believe. Of course, against the Gators, I, I'm guessing they'll they'll get it to that number, but but certainly not the normal home court situation. Um, I actually really liked uh, the setup that they uh, that they did there. They had the uh, the kind of pipe and, and drapes backdrop. It looked a little bit like a theater, um, but I think that's going to be a good shooting backdrop. As much as you know, when Florida State was putting up threes, um, I thought they were going to break the backboard. They were uh, um, outside of MJ Walker and Calhoun, not great shooters. Uh, but I, I I wonder if that that helps. Um, obviously, I think it really helps as well that the Gators do have their their feet wet. They've, they've played, um, uh, they've obviously played three games and, and two of them offensively have, have, have gone well. Uh, something, something else that I think is, is going to be interesting regarding, you know, Florida shooting is, uh, looking at this one game, uh, which again was so vintage Florida state when they played North Florida was, uh, uh, 20% of their shots came in transition versus 80% of them in the half court. Obviously, um, in transition, they were at 1.4 points per possession. They wow. shot 63%. And in the half court, they shot 40% and were 0.86 points per possession. So Florida State did not look very good in, in the half court um, offensively. They looked great in transition offensively. So I, I, I think you look at... Uh, uh, you look at kind of this the the flow of the game, and and I know it's kind of uh, kind of corny to say, but I mean, in, in some ways, Florida's best defense is going to be their offense because if they can make shots and set their defense, take away transition opportunities, uh, make Florida State try to score in the half court, that could be a recipe to to Florida winning. And uh, I think when you look at you know Noah Locke shooting corner threes, uh, if some of them if if those aren't falling and those are uh, taking those those kind of rebounding angles you see off missed threes where they're they're popping out straight towards the three point line and, and sending Scotty Barnes the other way, uh, that could be that could be tough. But uh, that 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 is something that I thought was uh was interesting to point out that uh, that Florida State did not look great in the half court. Yeah, they play Indiana tomorrow. Uh, Indiana's pretty good defensively, uh, or has been so far early in the season. Um, it'll be interesting to see if that trend continues, because obviously the Gators have, have defended well in the half court. The, the question I had for you, Eric, that I wrote down, since you hit me up with one of yours, and, and I think our listeners would love to know, is is this Florida team more equipped to play with Florida State? And I know I asked this because we have, we have a lot of high IQ basketball people that listen to our podcast, and they're going to understand kind of what we mean by that, but, but certainly Florida is more athletic. Is this a, a more capable team in terms of a matchup? I think so. I mean, just to, to put it kind of uh, this simply, you look at, uh, you look at Florida's roster last year and you say, okay, who am I comfortable with playing against Florida state? You look at Andrew Nemhart. Ooh, that's a bit of a tough matchup considering they're going to make him try to score one-on-one -on -one every single time down the floor. Uh, you look at Noah Locke. 
uh, not long, not super athletic, tough matchup. You look at freshman Trey Mann, uh, that's rough. Freshman Scotty Lewis, uh, trying to find your way against Florida State, that's a tough matchup. Kerry Blackshear playing against much quicker, uh, even longer centers, ooh, that's a tough matchup. And then I think you obviously fast forward to, to this year and you see uh, the way Trey Mann is playing. You look at his size and you say, okay, that's a player that we think can make plays one-on-one because you know that Florida State's defense is going to make Florida's ball handlers score one-on-one. Uh, you look at the fact that off the bench that they're, they're, they're going to have a bit more size in the backcourt with uh, with the Niles Lane. Um, it, I'm not sure how much they trust him, but if they want to put Samson Rusensev out there, he has some more length. Uh, to see Anthony Deruji and Osai Osifo, I don't know how much they trust those guys, but just kind of looking at the tail of the tape, you say, okay, at least they can, they can kind of hang. So while I don't think this Florida roster matches up perfectly, it's absolutely a step forward versus versus the last year's roster. Yeah, it is. And and the one guy that, that Florida has that, you know, no one really has an answer to nationally, but but or at least we haven't seen anyone in the SEC have an answer to him. Uh, you know, Baylor frustrated him a little bit, but that's pretty much it. Is is Keontae Johnson was really effective against Florida State last year. You you know, what can Florida do to get Keontae going? Well, this is actually going to be, you know, this is an interesting question to me because I'm very interested to see what Florida does offensively. We have seen them try to do a little bit of a little bit of the dribble drive. Uh, and then we also have seen them do a little bit of the Princeton. And one thing I like about when they play Princeton is that they usually uh, there, there's one part of it where whether it's split action or a pin down, Keontae Johnson gets a curl going towards the hoop. And, and that's where I think he's so effective because if he gets a half step on his defender due to coming off a curl, uh, he's got the explosive first step. He has the explosion at the rim. He's got the strength to take contact and finish. Uh, I, I think that that's something that's going to work. Uh, I think that the, I, you know, like you said, Keontae Johnson doesn't get taken out of a lot of games, but there are games where he's quieter when he's kind of spacing the floor. Uh, you, the threat of, of him as a three-point shooter or or hoping he can attack a closeout. I, I, I do think they've got to get his, get him the ball off the move, get him coming off pin downs, um, get him off uh, ball reversals. Uh, that's kind of how I see them uh, them using it. But but yeah, offensively, I, I am very interested to see, especially given the recent history of these teams, uh, what they try to do. Yeah, no, it. I think it's it's you know, one of the things about the game that, that intrigues me the most that and, and seeing if Florida can, you know, yeah, they get a little lucky because of crowd capacity issues. Obviously the Seminoles have reached the point in that streak where no one in that culture wants to be on the team that the streak ends. Uh, so Florida State's going to be way up for that game. Hopefully Florida can match that intensity. Uh, Mike White's teams have been pretty good on the road in his tenure, Eric. Um, but I think, you know, here you're getting in a situation where, uh, you know, the fan base really, really wants this win. Uh, you know that the staff wants this win. Uh, it's just a, you know, kind of a massive game where Florida could win. Um, boy, is that resume gold when, when you head to March because this Florida State team is going to win a lot of basketball games. Yeah, that'll that'll be a huge one, and especially when uh, their opportunity against Virginia was taken off the board, their opportunity against Oklahoma was taken off the board. Uh, they could really use something like this that's going to turn into a, a really good resume win in the non-conference. And uh, man, like I would really love to get some of the interest of the casual Florida Gator basketball fan, um, the football fan who maybe only cares about the Gators if 
they're really winning a lot. Um, I, I know there are a lot of fans who are looking to see if they beat Florida State. And if Florida beats them, they will start to care about Florida basketball. And if they lose, they will make a meme, um, laugh about this team, and then not pay attention. So uh, for that reason, I am just very, very much hoping that that Florida gets this win. And hey, maybe the uh, the early start will get some eyes on to people who are uh, uh, have something to do in the morning. They go to tune into uh, to college game day and see that the Gators are on at the same time. Uh, maybe that gets some more eyes from from Gator fans who uh, haven't been tuning in traditionally during the non conference portion of the season. But uh, as much as I like, like there's some people that make this game sound like it's it's the biggest game of the year and and you know in basketball it's just not there, there's going to be no game in in the non-conference portion that is the biggest game of the year that's just not the way basketball is structured but i mean you can't i guess i guess you can't argue with some people's perception and to a lot of casual fans uh this is going to be their most important game of the season so for that reason man would love to see florida get this win yeah i mean look it's not even florida's arch rival in this sport and I know that bristle that that rubs some uh, bristles the wrong way or or whatever the phrase might be, um, but it ruffles some feathers uh, <laughs> in the fan base maybe, but uh, it, it's not. And the thing is that now Mike White's lost four consecutive games to Kentucky. They've lost. Who is their arch rival in this sport? Uh, they've struggled against Tennessee, who for whatever reason some people just really want to make this comparison between. White and Barnes, I guess, because they came in at the same time. Um, you know, White has a little bit better of a winning percentage. I always tell people that, and they point out that Rick Barnes won an SEC title. Okay, he did. Uh, he's also had a couple losing seasons. Um, you know, Florida hasn't had any of those. But but Florida State, I just think, you know, it would just do a lot to to to, to Eric to your point to uh, kind of settle the fan base down. Uh, because if, if Florida loses to Florida State for the seventh consecutive time, uh, Saturday, yeah, I mean, it's going to be meme central station. It's going to be fire Mike White time on, on social media, at least until the football game kicks off at seven o'clock. And then, you know, Florida will roll out and play North Florida on Wednesday and blow them out. And people will say, oh, it doesn't matter. They lost to Florida State. Who cares? Uh, well, and, <laughs> and again, not to be, uh, not to be apocalyptic against this college basketball season, but going back to the resume thing, uh, the games could be taken at, at any point. You you just you you never know which games are going to be uh, end up being played. So yeah, opportunities are just uh, you, you you never know which opportunities are going to be more important than others. And this if half of the SEC season ends up getting axed for for whatever reason, and uh, their biggest opponent ends up being Florida State. And hey, hey let's uh, you know we don't need to talk about it on this podcast, but man, the SEC getting hammered here in non conference play. Yeah. The league is not looking great. So when it comes to selection Sunday, if uh, if uh, the the SEC is not going to get many favors, so this would be another you know a big big win for that reason as well. You get uh, like you said a kind of marquee win against a Florida State team that's probably going to end up being ranked for most of the year and, and be at the top of the ACC. Uh, it could be it could be pretty important. Really could be. So uh, let's close. We don't we don't predict things a lot. I know we we did at some point in the summer kind of lean into a prediction where we both thought uh, Florida was going to win. Has anything changed in your mind on that? <laughs> I will say no. I will say I, I will, I will not waver. What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah. You know what? Like last year I said, Florida was not going to win. And I got like DMS on Twitter about how he better win and all this. Stuff. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, 
like I have lots of control over the basketball game because I said on my podcast that Florida was not going to beat Florida State. Um, yeah, I just think the Gators are going to win. I think Florida has some guys that make this a better matchup for Florida. I still don't think Florida is – I think Florida State matches up better with Florida than Florida does with Florida State. Like I still think it's an upset if Florida wins. I just think it's going to happen. The one thing I will say – about it is and i thought eric kind of pointed it out is that scotty barnes playing point guard tells me that raekwon evans wasn't quite where ham thought he was going to be uh they don't really trust mj walker to be that dude at the point uh either even if he's adopted trent Forrest's leadership role like that's a lot to ask of of scotty barnes in his first game against somebody like florida who really defends well um, there are going to be some Gator players that are familiar with Scotty. Doesn't mean Barnes can't handle it. It's just, you know, Patrick Williams was another top 10 player they had last year. He had two points against the Gators and like four turnovers last year. Like it was an adjustment <laughs> to him to come out and play that type of game in game two. Uh, and, you know, so that's just kind of a thought I had is I do think that if there's a decisive advantage Florida has Eric, it's it's that right now at this point in the season, I trust Florida's backcourt a little more. Assuming like Quest Glover doesn't come in the game and turn the ball over five times, um, you know, or Tyree Appleby isn't overwhelmed by Florida State's athleticism, uh, or you know, Trey Mann somehow has a disastrous night against the press, which I don't think is going to happen. Florida's just too well coached to allow that to occur. But that's my thought on the game. Long winded. I do think Florida wins by four to five points. Uh, well, uh, Florida state's going to open as a two point favorite. So that's, uh, that's pretty tight. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty close. That shows some respect. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I do think that's kind of the, the roadmap for Florida to win is, uh, you keep Florida state out of transition. Um, so they've got to play in the half court and then you hopefully find out that your defense can, can hold, uh, can hold them to contested three point shots, which Florida state isn't great at, at hitting. And then on the other end that you, you've got to, uh, from an offensive standpoint, I think you've got to hope that, uh, uh, that Trey man and, and Tyree Appleby and, and Noah Locke, and, uh, we'll see who the next guard is maybe Niles lane. If he can uh, handle the ball against that press, uh, if they can beat it easily and, and maybe even get some, some points off of it. Uh, that's, that's kind of the roadmap I see to, to Florida winning. Um, and that is, uh, that is something where I, do find kind of Tyree Appleby's role interesting is Florida just got had so much trouble against presses last year because Andrew Nemhart was their only ball handler. Uh, this year they should have more, and I think their two best ball handlers will be Trey Mann and and and, and, um, and Tyree Appleby. Uh, Tyree Appleby might be giving some stuff up in in other areas of the game, but he definitely has the speed and he definitely has the the shiftiness to uh, to not only beat the press and get out of it, but 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 punish Florida State for it. So uh, that'll be interesting to watch and and uh you you know four or five points florida win is is which what she said and i think i would be kind of a, a, a alongside that it's it's tough to imagine the the spread being any bigger but hey if, if the game is close i think the best shot maker in the game is is trey man right now and i know that's a little bit of small sample size after he's only really looked like an, an elite scorer for three games this season didn't show it a lot last year, but between him and, and Tyree Appleby that the Gators might have the best kind of pure, pure shot makers. And uh, man, if it gets down to the the final minutes and it's tight, it could be uh, the best shot makers win. Yeah. I like it. Florida matches up, matches up McDonald's Americans two to two. 
Uh, so they got they got that part going for him as well, Eric. If you're into that kind of analysis, and of course, uh, Florida's best player wasn't a McDonald's All American, so um, <laughs> you know, little it'll be a fun one at the Tuck. Uh, I know I'm looking forward to it, which I haven't said that about a Florida State game in a couple years, to be quite honest. Um, so you know, I was not looking forward to it when Florida last went up there. I thought it was a disastrous idea to play them in a season opener. Uh, that was true, as it turned out. Um, I did not think Florida was going to play particularly well last year, and and I don't think you did either. Um, although, I don't know if we needed knew we were going to have to have an emergency podcast uh, after. Um, hopefully, it doesn't come to that Saturday. But uh, in any event, should be a fun game. We will be back after it to break it all down and then talk about uh, Florida's next week, which includes games against... UNF, we mentioned the North Florida game, and then uh, what would have been the Orange Bowl Classic, uh, and obviously I'm super bummed out that, that the Gators won't be down in South Florida, but uh, Florida will be playing FAU anyway in the Orange Bowl Classic. It'll just be in Gainesville, so a, a nice little Mike White-Dusty May battle. It's a shame they couldn't have gone on the road for you and uh, played a little closer to home in, in, in no, Boca. Play in Boca. Go- <laughs> Mike. Got to return, got to return the game maybe next year, and uh, and Dusty make it host. Let's go two for one, Dusty. <laughs> I want a two for one or a one one one, baby. Let's play, let's play an Orange Bowl Classic, a Gainesville, and a Boca. We'll come down to the Owl House, whatever they call it. I, I did I just name a place? That was awesome. All right, <laughs> all right, everybody, enjoy uh, enjoy your week, and and I uh, hope the Gators get it done against LSU as well. Bye bye.